Brother Bob Woods to uh, read our scripture this morning and to pray for God's blessing. We read in in this uh, passage the following words, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you, are, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And we thank God for these words. Let's just pray for, for a moment. Father, we do thank you for these precious words that remind us where we are. And Father, we ask at this time that you would open our minds to understanding what you have to say to us this morning from your word. Father, that you would open our eyes and help us to a fresh see the great sacrifice of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives day to day that makes this possible. And Father, we would also ask that you would open our hearts and that you would give us a love that stems from your great mercy and your um, goodness to us. So, Father, at this time we ask for your help. We ask that as we look at these words that you would bless this time and that we would go from this place being better equipped to be people of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. I got to know Bob and Donna uh, through small group ministry last year. We put a kind of a, uh, should I say, misfit group of people, some from Listowel and some from down in uh, New Hamburg and uh, quite a mix of ages and didn't really have anyone to lead it so I thought well I'll, I'll go and help with I'll get I'll help get that group started and uh, I never ever wanted to leave that group it was a real blessing to I think all of us certainly to me so um, yeah hope that you will consider being part of group life as well we are talking about being all for Christ this is our new Uh, fresh vision and mission for our church and we kicked this off last week and I talked about how there's actually four angles to see this phrase from in fact I love using the cross and the four points of the cross as a reminder that this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus this is what it looks like to take up our cross and follow Jesus first there is this downward direction to the life of the disciple in which we surrender, we live in dependence on Jesus Christ. Then of course there's an upward direction to the Christian life in which we are living for his glory, living to make him known. And then there's these horizontal directions to the Christian life. One, as we'll learn next week, where we are reaching out to the world, making sure they know the good news about Jesus so that we could reach all for Christ. And then as we're gonna talk about today, this idea of us as believers, as God's family being all together for Christ. So that is our message from this passage today. And I just want to begin by emphasizing it again, that if we are truly surrendered all to Christ, if you came last week and agreed that yes, this is true, I need to surrender all for Christ, then you need to understand it is impossible for you to do that outside of the context of a church family. Now, if you happen to become a believer in a country where there were 
uh, no other believers in your area, well, then maybe you'd have to kind of do for at least for a time until there were other believers. It would just be you and Jesus. But for those of us who live, especially in a place like this, where there are believers all around us, I've visited with different people in, in Elmira, and they say, yeah, so so-and-so from the church just lived three doors down, and the pastor from Woodside's over here, and we live in a place where we are blessed to have brothers and sisters in Christ all around us. And if we are surrendered all for Christ, we will live our Christian life in the context of a church family. There is no escaping that. There, there is no alternative. If we say, I will follow Jesus, then he is leading us and pointing us into his family and he's saying to us, love me here. Love me by loving my church. Serve me by serving my church. That is the teaching of God's word. And I want us to see this from these verses we've already read this morning. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. Three lessons that I want us to see from these verses about what it means to be all together for Christ. And here's the first one, that we are together in one family together in one family. Notice he begins by saying, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. The word foreigner represents a person who's come, who's maybe visiting in Canada from another country. They don't have any rights here in our country, in our land. They maybe don't speak our language. They maybe look different from us. That's what a foreigner is. And then the stranger describes uh, perhaps someone who's an immigrant, someone who's come from another place, maybe speaks another language, but they've actually come and, and made a home here among us. The word literally means the, the foreigner or the, the immigrant next door. And what is Paul saying here? That as believers, we're no longer foreigners and strangers. Well, how did we ever become foreigners and strangers? It's talking here about the relationship between Jewish people, if we go back and see the context. Jewish people, and why did God create the nation of Israel? Jewish people, why did he do that? Because God wanted to have a people for himself who could represent him in the context of the global world. But even before that, God's intention when he made humanity was to have a people for himself. Humanity was meant to be his children, his sons and his daughters made to represent him in the world, made to be the caretakers of his earth. So how could, how could it be that any human being could find themselves as a foreigner or a stranger from the people of God? Well, there's one reason, one primary reason, and that is that we ran away. That's how we ended up as foreigners and strangers to God and to his people. We ran away from home. We ran away from our father. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they'd heard God say, I'm blessing you with this place. I'm blessing you with all of these trees, with all of this fruit. There's just one, one tree you must not eat from. And having listened to the lies of the devil and the temptation that they could somehow be like God, they chose to run from God and run to their own place and make, make a world with their own laws and with their own way of life. And this is what's happened to all of us. Every one of us who has rebelled against God in sin, every one of us who can look at our own lives and say, you know what, I have to agree, I have to admit that I have lived my life apart from God's ways. 
I haven't followed his ways. I haven't done it his way. And we all have run from God. But here's the amazing story of the Bible that God has wanted us back. The story of history is God finding a way to bring us back. Now we remember when Adam and Eve sinned against him, when they ran away from God, God literally placed an angelic being at the entrance to the garden that he had placed those people in, and and he forbid them to re-enter. Now why is that? They chose to run from God. God in his holiness had to say, this place, this place of relationship with me is holy and you have to be holy to live here in my presence in my family so the way was blocked because God in his holiness would first have to find a way to redeem to forgive to cleanse and make righteous those people who had rebelled against him and that's exactly what God has done story of the Bible, the story of history is God making a way purposely, relentlessly making a way so that his wayward children can be redeemed and forgiven and made righteous so that they can be brought all the way back. So hear this in these words. Those of you who've trusted in Jesus Christ, those of you who are followers of Christ, here's what God's word says to you. You're no longer foreigners from God. You're no longer strangers from God, but, he says, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This is the great thing that we can celebrate as we gather on Sunday mornings is that we are gathering in the presence of God as the children of God because he has made a way back for his wayward, rebellious children. How? How did God make it possible for us to be brought back, to be adopted back into his family? Well, I think most of you know the answer to that. And it's right here in the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you know how God adopts sinners like me back into his family He did it through the adoption price of his own son. His one and only son. His one rightful, divine, holy, perfect son, Jesus Christ. He paid an adoption fee that cost him his own perfect son of God so that he could rescue and adopt his rebellious and sinful sons. How is that possible? We don't know why, how God would stoop to this depth to bring back people who are so undeserving. But this is the good news of the Bible. This is your good news if you're a follower of Jesus. That God has made a way. He's brought you all the way back. The same writer of John 3.16 later wrote a letter in which he said this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So notice again in verse 19, no longer foreigners, no longer strangers from God, but fellow citizens, notice, with God's people. Always remember this, God's heart in redemption, it's not just about you, right? Not just about saving you, although that's important to him, His purpose in redemption is to have a people. 
And that's why the Bible talks over and over about this kingdom, or more literally in this case, it's, a, it's like a city. It's the city of God. And he has made you a citizen of that city. That's why we have to be so careful not to think of our Christian faith. It's just me. It's just me and Jesus. No, when Jesus saves you, he saves you into something. He says, now you're a fellow citizen. You've, you've got citizenship in God's country with God's people in his great city. That's good news, but then it's even better because we're fellow citizens with God's people, but also, notice, members of his household. We are his children. God has a family. Let's, let's be clear about who's the daddy. God is the father. He is in authority over his family, but he lovingly invites us in to be part of his household. That is what God has saved us to, into this relationship with God that automatically puts us in relationship with one another. There is no escaping this reality. If you are saved, if you've been reconciled to God, you have been placed into his people, and that is why church life is so crucial. So, what does Paul teach us here? Number one, through salvation we are together in one family. Together in one family. But here's the second thing we see in these verses. We are together in one faith. Notice verse 20. Those of us who are part of God's household, part of this people of God, Paul says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now here we begin to get into imagery that's common throughout the Bible. It's the imagery of a building in which this description of God's people, we are described as a building and, and uh, we're all like stones and we're being built into a wall and built, into, built up into a prominent structure as we're gonna see here that's literally meant to be a dwelling place for God. So it's imagery that's powerful, and here we're thinking of a building that's built on like every safe and strong and well-built building will be on a foundation. What does it mean that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? What does that mean? Well, we can think back in history and recognize that Christianity began with one person, Jesus, who chose 12 people, his apostles, and in the course of history, over three and a half years, he trained them and taught them, and ultimately he commissioned them to go out into the world, as we're going to learn next week, and be his witnesses and make disciples. And that's what those 12 men and the other men and women who gathered with them and around them did in the early days of the church. So it started with Jesus, and he took 12 men, and on that historical foundation, the church has been built. All of us are here today. We can trace our spiritual lineage all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to Jesus. There is a historical foundation. But then there's also, I'm going to call it a theological or doctrinal or biblical foundation for us as believers. And why would I say that? I say that because these apostles, these 12 apostles, were some of those 
who wrote what we have in our book today as scripture. So Peter, one of those first 12 apostles, wrote part of the scripture, probably influenced the writing of the Gospel of Mark. John, one of those first 12 apostles, wrote his Gospel of John and then wrote three epistles of John and was highly, and then the book of Revelation, of course, was highly influential in the early days of the church. We have this foundation. This book provides us with foundation for our faith. And what is it that these people, these early apostles and prophets, what was the theological foundation that they laid for us? Well, let me show you some examples of the theological foundation that roots us in the Christian faith, that informs us what it means to be a Christian today. Here's the first one. Here's the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Here's the Apostle Paul, foundational teaching. This is what it means to be a believer. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you've trusted in Christ, Jesus has taken hold of you. The Holy Spirit has taken hold of you and baptized you. He's dunked you into the body of his people, his church. That's who you are. That is your identity as a follower of Jesus. The foundation of Christianity says it's not just you and Jesus. It is you and the people of God. You've been placed into one body. What about Peter? What did he say? Peter taught the believers that he wrote to to love one another deeply from the heart. This is foundational teaching to what it means to be a believer. To be a believer means that we live in the context of God's people in such deep relationship that this ought to be true of us, that we have a deep love for one another from the heart. Then he repeats similar language three chapters later in chapter 4, and he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What about the Apostle John? What foundation did he lay for us? He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The apostles laid a foundation for us that teaches us that our identity is wrapped up with Christ and his church. And that if we're truly living out this identity, it will be so evident in the ways that we love and relate to and live together with one another. That is the foundation that the apostles have laid for us. Now notice, together in one faith, this one foundation, if we come up with a different form of Christianity that's not built on this foundation, then we're on the wrong foundation. We're together in one faith here. It's a faith that's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with, notice, Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The thing that unites us is not the name on our church building. The thing that unites us is Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Which for us is why the simple phrase, all for Christ, is so relevant, so appropriate, because our focus, we want it to be simply 
on him. He is the thing that unites us. He is the ultimate priority of the church. He is the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that he's foundational. Cornerstone is part of the foundation, but it oftentimes was ornamental. It was a beautiful stone. It was a large stone. It was glorious. So Jesus is foundational to our faith. Jesus is glorious to our faith. But then the the cornerstone also set the direction for the rest of the building. Imagine having a cornerstone that's perfectly square, and you set it in place, and the way that you orient that stone dictates the way the rest of the building's gonna go. Turn the stone this way, building's going this way. Turn the stone this way, building's going this way. Jesus is not only foundational, he's not only glorious, he is the one who sets our vision and our direction and our course. We are together in one faith, a faith that's oriented around Jesus. And so what did Jesus say about us? living together in one faith. If he's the foundation, if he's the glory of the church, the people of God, if he sets the direction for the people of God, what did he say to us about how we would live together as his people? And here it is in the context of a story in which he gets down, stoops down, washes the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples, having done that as an example to them. Now he says, love one another as I have loved you why does he set the bar so high as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if if you love one another do you see him setting the direction for us Have we come to a place where we've understood that to be a follower of Jesus, to surrender all to Jesus, calls me to this kind of life? And I can almost hear some of you as the wheels are turning saying, yeah, but if you only knew what brother so-and-so said to me. If you only knew the way that I poured out my life in some area of ministry. And no one ever encouraged me and seemed like all I ever got was criticism. If you only knew. Well, I don't know all that you've been through in the context of church life. I know what I've been through. We've all been through. If you've been part of the church for any length of time, you have been part of a people who are not yet fully sanctified. And consequently, there is pain. As we rub up against each other, you know, iron sharpens iron, sure, but it also hurts. It's painful. And the one who knows your pain and my pain in terms of our participation in the church of Christ is the one who said this. In fact, no one knows the pain of rejection, even by his own disciples who abandoned him in his darkest hour. No one knows that kind of pain like Jesus. And yet, he calls us to this. As I have loved you. And what did, what did Jesus do to Peter after Peter denies him? I'll never deny you, Lord. And three denials later, there's Peter weeping. But we find Jesus coming along the shore that one morning. John chapter 21 starts a fire. Not sure where he got the fish, but he had some fish. Starts cooking breakfast for Peter. 
And after giving them another miraculous catch of fish like the one we heard about last week, Peter dives in. It's the Lord. Swims to shore and finds Jesus and hears him say, Peter, follow me. Jesus knows what it means to show grace and mercy, to forgive again and again his people. And we need to learn to do it just like he does. See what it says? As I have loved, So you must love one another. I'm sure there's people in this room, maybe there's people watching from home who are carrying, today, carrying the pain of something that you feel has been done to you in the context of the family of God. And I just want you to know, Jesus understands that pain, but he calls you to this kind of deep love. And it's by this love that everyone will know that you are my disciples. One of my favorite experiences being part of a church is when someone who's not a believer, not familiar with this church, never came through the doors of this church, but walks through those doors and after spending an hour in the midst of the people of God says, wow, something special is happening here. Why? Because they have seen the real, tangible love of God flowing through his people towards one another and towards them. It's spilling over even to the stranger who comes into our door in such a way that they say, these people must be followers of Jesus. Four chapters later in John, we have Jesus praying to his father. This is just before he's betrayed and arrested and, uh, and, and he suffers and he's crucified listen to what he prays for us I pray also for those who will believe in me that all of them may be one may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me why does the world struggle to believe what we believe some would say It's because they look at the Christians and they say, what you say you believe is unbelievable. I can't accept it because I don't see you living it. And Jesus here is praying primarily for the living out of our faith in loving community, in unity. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I have met so many Christians who somehow feel so justified to pull away from God's people, to pull away from Uh, from God's church to fold their arms in judgment and somehow feel justified in light in spite of what Jesus here is praying that is not his will for you that is not his plan for you now this takes work this takes the mercy of God and by the way how can we ever love one another the way Jesus is inviting us well the clue is this as I have loved so you must love what does that tell you it means that you can't do that apart from the presence of Jesus residing in your own heart. It is only through the gospel, it is only through redemption when Christ uh, transforms us and takes up residence within our lives that it's possible for us to love as he loves. We are together in one faith. 
It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself is the cornerstone, and the vision that Jesus and his apostles lay before us is this vision of the people of God living in loving unity. That is the vision of Christ for his church. Together with one in one faith. Together in one family, together in one faith, and then finally this one, together with one focus. Starting in verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. One focus, or we could say one aim for this church. Why has God brought us together? What is his purpose for us? Well, it's really clear here. Notice, first of all, he wants us to grow together. In him, the whole building is, notice, joined together. And then verse 22, you two are being built together. So our focus, this one focus that we bring to church life, first of all, is a desire to come together as one family. Now, how many recognize this? hate it when I step on those things. My kids, uh, something, a number of my kids have really loved Lego over the years, and so you buy the kit, right? You open the box and the plastic bag and the instructions fly out, and you pour all these things out onto the table, all of these little pieces. Now imagine you take your hands with this little picture here before you, and you bring all of those pieces together in one pile, and you say, oh, there it is. There it is. This is exactly what was meant to be. Notice the unity. They're all together. Nobody's fighting. It's just this beautiful pile of pieces. And of course, that's not at all what was intended for those pieces of Lego. What was intended is that all of those different pieces and all of those different shapes with all of those different colors would come together uh, with an intentional meaning and purpose to make something greater than the pieces themselves. And that is God's intention for his people. So our one focus, as we think about what it means to be part of the people of God and part of his church, we have this strong desire that we would grow together, that we would be joined together into the building, into the thing that God intends for us to be. Now, there is an individual aspect to this. God has made you with a certain shape, a certain color, a certain speaking metaphorically here of these Lego pieces, he's made you to fit into his building, into his people. But the goal is not for us to remain alone, stay apart from the group, just be what I am in myself. The goal is that we would be built into a masterpiece that God intends for us corporately to be. That is what he's doing here. And so it becomes our focus. This is together our focus. That we want this church to come together. It's not enough for us to simply be in a building. It reminds me of occasionally when I go into the city and I ride, very occasionally in my life, I've been on public transit. You ever been on public transit in the city at rush hour? and they jam way more people into those buses or train cars than there really should be. 
and you're, you know, some guy beside you is holding the rail above and your face is right in his armpit. You have no idea who he is. It's a total stranger. And you, you've never been so close to anyone in your life. It's, and here we are, we're all jammed into this, this bus or this transit car and nobody talks. It's weird to talk. I've, I've done that on purpose sometimes. Just try talking to someone in that context. It weirds people out. We're not going to talk to anybody. We're not going to look at each other. We're all down looking at our phone. Contrast that to when I was in Bible college, KLBC, as some of you remember. And we had this choir, and we did bus trips. And together with a class of 20, 25 people, maybe, uh, maybe a few uh, faculty members or teachers would ride the bus with us, and we would sing. Somebody would pull out a guitar, somebody would play Stephen Curtis Chapman, and we'd all join our voice, or sometimes we'd even sing our choir songs, and we'd just sing. You see the difference? It's possible for us to come to this place and sit in this room beside people we don't really know, and it's way too close and weird. And we think that somehow we're doing church just because we jam ourselves into this room, which, by the way, we need you to do. There's still two pews here at the front. Squeeze in. But that's not unity. That's not necessarily what God intends for us. There is a purpose to us coming and gathering in this way and gathering in small groups and gathering in ministries. It is so that together we'd be built into something. And God is the one who decides what he's building us into, describes it as a building. Together with one focus means that we're growing together. It also means that we're growing in maturity. Notice again, in him the whole building is joined together and, catch the word there, rises. Do you see the idea here? that We're rising up into something greater than what we've been Surely something better, something greater than you can be alone. But even as we grow and even as God is building his church, remember Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is building and building and building and day by day, his intention is that we'd be growing higher, greater, to, to a, a higher level of maturity and usefulness and success in the mission that he has for us. So it's not just that we're growing together, we're growing higher. We're growing up in maturity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice here, he's not describing an individual maturity, which is part of the Christian life. He's describing a corporate maturity where we together are growing up. Ephesians 4 tells us that the goal of the growing up of the corporate church is that we as a church would look like the head which is Christ. Isn't it amazing that, you know, individually we can say, what would Jesus do? Yeah, I want to be more like Jesus. But do you know that corporately we can become something that fully reflects the character, the work, the nature of Jesus? We can do that corporately. In fact, if we don't recognize the need for us to come together and to grow together, we will not reflect the nature and the mission of Jesus corporately. This is why this is so important. Together with one focus means that we grow together. It means that we grow up together. 
And finally, it means that we grow holy together. The whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy, in other words, set apart temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Brothers and sisters, God's goal for us is not just that we grow together, not just that we grow in maturity, but that we would grow holy, set apart, not, not separate from the world in the sense that we wash our hands of the world and turn our back on the world, but separate from the world in the sense that we are holy as God is holy. The one who has saved us, the one who's made us his own, is calling us to be holy as a people. That is why the relationships that we share, the way we engage in the church context is so crucial because it demonstrates holiness. Have you ever noticed how much of the New Testament is actually instructions about how to behave together? Think about this. So much of the New Testament instruction, especially in the, in the epistles, the practical teaching of the epistles is, here's how you should behave with one another, and you should forgive one another, and you should bear with one another, and you should be kind to one another, and you should accept one another, all of those one another commands. And so much of the teaching of God's word is telling us what holiness looks like corporately in a group setting. And why shouldn't we long for that? Because we're learning here that this building, this thing that God is making us into, this masterpiece that he's building of his people together is his dwelling place. It is the place where as people look at it or come close to it, sense in a very real way the presence of God. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I wish I would have thrown this scripture on the screen for you, but he's describing there the importance of prophesying in the church setting, which is essentially what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking out God's word. Prophesying in that context, I don't believe, is foretelling the future. It's just simply speaking out the word of God. And what he says there in 1 Corinthians 15 is that when someone comes in who's an unbeliever or uninformed, and they hear in the church the prophetic word of God in the midst, in the context of the whole, they will fall down on their knees and proclaim, God is really among you. Brothers and sisters, that is what I long for as a pastor, as a minister for Jesus. I love the church. I love the gathering of the church. I love the Lord's people yeah even the ones that don't love me I love to be part of what God is doing and my great longing is that this church and any true church of Jesus Christ would explode as as they grow together and become increasingly this mature a demonstration of the holy presence of God that the unbelievers who hear their message and see their love would say I want what you want what you have. This is God's plan for us. And this is our focus. As we gather as a church, as we engage in church life, we want to grow together. We want to grow up in maturity. And we want to become holy, the holy presence of God in this world.
together with one focus. This is, of course, the goal of the discipleship path that we've rolled out in the past year. We long to grow in our faith. As a church, we want to grow together. I hope every one of us has a deep longing to grow, if you're a believer, to grow in your faith, to come along someone who's, who's, who, who also needs to grow and say, let's go together, let's grow in our faith, to have someone ahead of you who can help you grow in your faith. I hope all of us are looking for ways to reach back beyond the cross to those who are separated, those who are searching, seeking to bring them in through the gospel into the family of God. So what does this all mean? What does it mean for us to be all together for Christ? The first question I want to leave with you this morning is this one. Have you joined the family of faith? Jesus gave his life as the son of God so that you could become a son or a daughter of God. Have you joined the family? How do you do that? You join the family by recognizing that you're a sinner that you ran from home, you ran from God, you sinned and rebelled against God. And so you confess your sin, you repent of your, you turn from your life of sin back to God and by faith you trust in Jesus and his act of sacrifice for you on the cross. You could join the family of God right now simply by exercising your will, turning your heart and your mind and your faith to Jesus alone for salvation. Have you joined the family? Number two, have you recognized the family nature of the Christian faith? Or have you mistakenly assumed that all that matters is that you've got your salvation, you've got your ticket to eternity, that's all that matters, and whether I go to church or not, whether I engage in church, whether I have Christian friends or not, not really that important, optional, not according to God's word not according to the apostles and prophets, not according to Jesus himself. Have you recognized the family nature of the Christian faith? Number three, are you committed to gathering with the family of God? I'm always shocked when I meet Christians who come this Sunday, not next. I know we all have holidays, we all have commitments, family reunions, various things. We're gonna miss church sometimes. But I can't believe people who don't find the joy, the excitement, the passion to be here in the presence of God because where God's people gather, he's here in the midst. And we get to be together and we get to celebrate what we have in Christ and we get to celebrate, I'm not the only one. Look at all these people who believe what I believe. Look at all these people who found faith in Christ as I have. When I started the 12th grade, as far as I knew, I was the only Christian in my whole high school. I still can't get over this. This is awesome. I'm not alone. We are together in the faith. Are you committed to gathering? Will you be here when the doors of the church are open anytime you can be? Or is this kind of an optional thing? Ah, if I feel like it. Don't feel like it today. What? You don't feel like being in the presence of Christ and his people? What? I don't understand that. In fact, there is a real danger that someone who has no passion, no heart to be with God's people, you need to examine yourself as to whether you've really come and joined yourself to this faith in which he's described in this way, where he said, make them one. 
Gather with God's people. Gather large on Sunday mornings. Gather small in small groups. Please fill this sheet out. These focus groups are an opportunity to gather. If, you, if you're new to the faith or if you're still exploring the faith, Christianity Explored, what a great opportunity. It includes a meal, free food, and friends. Conquer series, opportunity to get together and talk about our struggle, our mutual struggle with sexual sin and addiction to pornography, and you're going to find friends there and fellowship, people who can walk beside you and help you, and you're going to help them. How to study the Bible, this is a class we're going to do on the book of Colossians. We're going to teach through the book of Colossians. We're going to show you how to study the Bible on your own. We're going to do that as friends, brothers and sisters. We're going to sit around tables. We're going to encourage each other in the faith. By the way, we understand uh, for most of you, maybe only one of these things is going to fit into your schedule. That's okay. Would, would everyone please do at least one? Might be small group, might be one of the others. Commit yourself to gathering with the family of God. And then finally this, are you engaging in the family of faith in relationships and service? Maybe you're a person who just finds relationships really scary. I just want to encourage you there's a lot of other people here who do too. And if you're willing to engage, you, might, you, might, you will find someone who understands you. Someone who is a safe place for you to share your life with. Engage in the family of faith. Engage in relationships and service. This is what our Lord calls us to. We are all together for Christ. Let's sing. And then Jeff is going to come and close this time in prayer and Lord we are thankful for your faithfulness Lord we're humbled this morning to think that we can be children of you we're humbled by the fact that as children we can bless other children all to your glory and Lord we're praying that we you will dismiss us with your blessing we pray this in Jesus name amen mm -hmm.